Hello and welcome to Baylor Connections, a conversation series with the people shaping our future. Each week we go in-depth with Baylor leaders, professors, and more discussing important topics in higher education, research, and student life. I'm Derek Smith, and today we are talking DNA, cancer research, and more with Dr. Michael Traxellis. Dr. Traxellis serves as Professor of Biochemistry and Director of Graduate Affairs in Baylor's Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry. Traxellis' research focuses on DNA replication and repair, a process which carries implications for cancer formation, fertility, and more. His work has drawn significant funding from organizations like the National Science Foundation, National Institutes of Health, and more. In addition to his teaching and research, he serves as Director of Graduate Affairs, helping grow the department to more than 110 graduate students, and he's with us today on the program. Uh, Dr. Traxellis, thanks so much for joining us. Excited to dive into your work today. Yeah, thanks, Derek. Appreciate it. Well, looking forward to uh, to learning more about what you do. So let me ask you this. When, when you're talking to someone outside of higher education and, you know, have a conversation, they ask you what you do and you tell them, are there common questions you receive? Are there some are there some questions that you've heard a lot over the years or are common uh, responses? You mean before the long pause or sure. after <laughs> yeah. the long pause that happens? No, I think I think the the thing that we want to get into is, you know, people are really interested in something. They're passionate about something. They're curious uh, naturally about things. And so just being able to connect with people on different levels about the research we do, being able to talk about it at different levels or, or connect with some things they're familiar with, I think that's a really important thing for professors to do and for just people in science to do um, in general. Well, I'm looking forward to diving in as we talk about DNA replication repair, what that means, what the uh, the implications of, of that are. Um, how I, I gave a brief description at the top of the show. How, how do you describe what it is that you do? Yeah, I, I think we're kind of like a discovery team. Um, we we look at biology, we don't understand it, and we try to we try to use tools to reverse engineer our understanding of what's going on. And so, yeah, everything that happens in the cell is super complicated and dynamic, um, but we need to break it down. We need to take it apart piece by piece, and then we can really have a better understanding of what, what happens. And this is definitely true with DNA replication and repair. It's quite a complicated process. In fact, there are multiple different processes that go on there, uh, but we'll use different tools, right? We'll just sort of um, investigate from one direction or hit it from a nif- different direction, and we'll see what we can uncover. Visiting with Dr. Michael Traxellis, and you talked about reverse engineering a bit. Are, are there some specific questions that drive your work? Yeah, I mean, really, it's 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 a basic question. It's like why and how. Mm-hmm. It's like how does it work is a, is a really kind of a model for our laboratory. Um, why is a different is a different sort of question. And so, from a reverse engineering standpoint, it's more of the how question. It's just how does it work? How can we? Um, take it apart and put it back together again, both from the bottom up and the top down uh, perspective, and then maybe meet in the middle someday, you know, and then sort of get a really good understanding of what's happening inside the cell. Visiting with Dr. Michael Traxellis, and uh, as we dive in, again, you talk about this as a process that has implications for health, for, for disease, for fertility, and, and so many different things. Let's go back to, to science class. For those of us who haven't been in science class in a while, you and I are sitting here right now, and there's stuff taking place in us that we're not thinking about. So could you give us a little bit of a DNA replication and repair 101? Help us see this through your eyes a little bit. Yeah, at the, at the really basic level, it's just a, maybe a handful of reactions that are taking place over and over 
and over again, right? The, the genome that we have in our, in our bodies is 3 billion base pairs long, and so we need to replicate every single one of those every time before we can uh, do cell division. And so it's that process of replicating, it's uh, connecting, it's piecing back together, it's a massive, massive puzzle uh, that needs to be resynthesized, right, every time. Um, you do DNA replication. And so, you know, at the basic level, several enzymes do this, but they're super efficient. And um, it just gets more complicated as you go up up towards the human uh, cell uh, mm. system. Why, why is it doing that? What, what is that uh, accomplishing? Yeah, so it's, it's a way to maintain our, our genetic information, right, to pass it on from generation to generation. It's involved in evolution of species on our planet and looking at different uh, genomes from other organisms and comparing and contrasting sort of the, the differences that are going on. You know, but it's a way ultimately just for survival, right? It's, it's our ability to, to pass down genetic information f to our offspring. Um, and that occurs really with all life forms on our, on our planet. And so that's a, a super important process. So what happens, Dr. Trexellis, when things go right? And maybe no news is good news, but what also on the other side of the coin can happen when things go wrong? Yeah, when things go right, it's what you see in the textbook. It's what we teach in biochemistry. It's, it's the, you know, it's everything is super efficient and well-orchestrated type machine. Um, in reality, it's never the case that that happens. Um, you know, it's, it's things that all, every process goes wrong. So if you just take those five basic enzyme activities, right? They have to work in concert to one another. They have to be uh, playing off one another. One one can't be more active than the other. There has to be a really good balance of all the different activities. So, you know, if things go wrong, we get a lot of DNA damage. We get uh, mutations that occur. We get breaks to our genome. All of those things uh, create what we call genomic instability. And that genomic instability is what leads to various types of cancer. Um, and that I think probably all of us have some experience with in our family and friends. And so, you know, it's those processes we are studying and trying to figure out. You know, we've talk, we talk about, uh, you know, talk about the three, three, over three billion pairs. We've talked about the replication. I want to make sure I don't go past that asking you specifically. We talk about replication. What, what's, what's the repair part uh, of that? Right. So replication makes a perfect copy, right? And it's a, it's a three billion base perfect copy. Um, but you can imagine over three billion bases, there are times or, or uh, situations where maybe things don't go perfect. And so, you know, it's a, it's a mistake to one of the bases. It's an insertion, maybe, or of one base over the other. It's a, it's a change of a base. And so the, all those things can create mutations, either, or uh, damage events. And, and those things just need to be repaired. So it's okay to make a, a damaged event or a mistake during DNA replication, but you have to have a process to fix it. And I'll just give you one example that I like to use in classes. You know, every, every day in our cells, every single one of our cells has 100,000 DNA damage events per cell per wow. day. And so, you know, we make mistakes during replication, but we have many different mechanisms to fix them. So you look at you think 100,000 sounds like a lot. I suppose out of uh, 3 billion, that's a, that's a pretty good percentage. And most of this the body naturally takes care of. Right. 100,000 is not a lot in the context of 3 billion, but just keep in mind, one mistake can, can give rise to sort of a cancer cell mm -hmm. or sort of the beginning of cancer. And so, yes, you have to um, balance those, those numbers for sure. Okay. You talk about, uh, you know, it can have an impact on, on a cancer event or, or, or other health problems. What are some of the uh, human uh, health implications we see when it comes to replication and repair? 
Yeah. You know, first of all, a lot of people have genetic predispositions to cancer. You've probably heard about some of them, including the breast cancer genes, BRCA1, uh, BRCA2 in particular. It's a, it's a routine screen for several different uh, genetic causes to cancer now. Um, you know, those are mutations, right, that have occurred in those genes that allow cells to either over-replicate or have uncontrolled replication. And you can just think about cancer as a sort of replication gone wrong. It's over-replication of a cell. It's creating a mass of cells that build into a tumor. Um, you know, so those, those basic processes can go wrong if they're not controlled. And that's what a lot of the, the cell is meant to do is sort of control the basic process of replication. It's got to be efficient, fast, controlled, um, and also fixable. <laughs> Visiting with Dr. Michael Traxella. So uh, this is pretty enormous puzzle to, to study that uh, you and your, your students and other colleagues in this area are, are, are taking a look at. You mentioned tools at the beginning of the, the show. What are some of the tools that you have at your disposal to try to, to reverse engineer this? Yeah, you know, I was trained as a biochemist. And so we think about um, originally or early in my career thinking about basic reactions inside test tubes. But, you know, as a professor, I, I maybe I get easily bored with some of those techniques. And so we build in other tools, things that I'm not experts at, but we can bring in collaborations or, or other people or just really a willingness to learn new te techniques. And so we, we've applied genetic uh, tools, which is something I was never really trained in. We've utilized mass spectrometry. Uh, we use single molecule sort of techniques to look at individual molecules of, of DNA on, on a surface or a slide. Um, all kinds of different tools. In fact, you know, just thinking about the work we do, we're not really an expert in any one particular technique. It's the, it's the sort of biological understanding of replication and repair that drives us, and we'll approach it from a lot of different directions. Are there some common directions, some common inroads that are really the, uh, you know, kind of the foundation of what you do? Yeah, going back to what you asked me before about the question, it's, it's really the question of how. And so we want to have a mechanistic understanding of what's going on. And so from the atomic level, from the molecular level, from the protein level, from the DNA level, what are the interactions that are occurring? What are the dynamics or the sort of comings and goings of different enzymes as they do their processes? It's very, very dynamic and super fast and efficient. And, you know, we're probing all of those things. How much has uh, increased computing power? Uh, has that impacted your work a great deal? Yeah, you know, it's starting to for sure. Just uh, having, you know, access to the Human Genome uh, Project, uh, which was now over 20 years ago or 25 years ago, actually, where, where it came out. I mean, just looking at genome, cancer genomes, for example, from people, it really starts to help us understand what mutations give rise to certain diseases and, and sort of where those diseases come from. Like what, what is the, the genotype of a particular um, person and how does it contribute to sort of a disease progression that they might have? And so really, you know, computing power at the level of genomics, I think, is, is, is becoming a more and more important for our work. This is Baylor Connections. We are visiting with Dr. Michael Traxellis, Professor of Biochemistry and Director of Graduate Affairs in Baylor's Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry. And you, you've had a lot of uh, research projects that have gone some interesting directions that, uh, you know, whether it's with the NSF, NIH, and others. Could you take us inside a couple of those? What, what are some projects that have been particularly meaningful or interesting to you? Yeah, you know, I'm really fortunate to have a really diverse group of scientists working for me in my lab. And, you know, it just allows us to have a couple different projects going on where we can focus on different areas. And so maybe I'll just highlight, too, you know, 
Um, one, I talked about sort of efficiency of DNA replication, the textbook model of DNA replication. Um, a, a, a subgroup in, in my lab is really interested in sort of what happens when that doesn't occur, when we get what we call decoupling or thinking about all of those enzymes working together, but but now they're decoupled. They kind of work independently, or one has more effect than the other, and sort of what implications does that have in genomic stability? And so what we see when we decouple replication is more breaks, more DNA breaks, more mutations, um, more uh, prone to cancer type phenotypes. And so, you know, coupling is becoming a, a super important thing. It's just coupling of enzyme, diverse enzyme activities. And so that, that one is, is really exciting, and that's funded by the NSF. Um, the other project that uh, is really interesting at the moment is our, our links to infertility and cancer. And so we've helped discover a couple genes um, called MCM8 and MCM9, uh, where mutations in those genes gave rise to infertility or ovarian insufficiency in women. And, you know, that's... So that's the phenotype, right? That's the sort of what happens when you have mutations in these genes. And then it was really our job afterwards to go out and figure out, well, why is that, right? What is the molecular reason for, for this infertility? Or a single mutation in a gene is now giving rise to infertility. And then coming up later and seeing that it's also implicated in various types of cancer. So it's connecting cancer and infertility in a way we didn't understand before and only are just starting to understand now. Visiting with Dr. Michael Traxellis. So, you know, obviously you, you're breaking down, you know, some huge human challenges like disease, like infertility into to, to bite sized, uh, you know, to to, you know, to the small at the smallest possible level in a lot of ways. How much do those big questions, how much do they impact your day to day work as you think about them? How much is it that focus on, you know, at the molecular level that can eventually give rise to those bigger problems? Yeah, we're always we're always thinking at the molecular level, but we try not to lose sight of the bigger picture. And so that really just allows us to bring in, like I said before, different techniques to kind of study the problem. Um, you know, as far as these two genes, MCM8 and MCM9, it's you know maybe they become a target for cancer therapy in the future. But but before that happens, we have to kind of understand them at the molecular level and understand are they a viable target for chemotherapy or combined chemotherapy. And so those are those are things we're trying to identify first. Um, and so, yeah, we're focused on the molecular level, but we're thinking about the disease level and, and, and how we can help. Visiting with Dr. Michael Trexellis, and uh, as we talk about uh, your division, there's a lot of professors in chemistry and biochemistry doing great research that impacts, uh, that has implications for, for cancer and health in other ways. And, you know, you mentioned uh, you have, uh, we work with faculty who have tools or expertise that are different uh, than yours. Uh, one of those is uh, Alyssa Gallagher we've had on the program before, mass spectrometry. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that a little bit. And then also, if you would, elaborate more on what it's like working in a division where you've got a lot of great people doing a lot of great work in different areas. Yeah, such an important point. You know, so I, I really knew nothing about mass spectrometry. That's the best part of being a professor. We get to learn new things, too. But but Dr. Gallagher does. I mean, she's an expert in that direction. And so, you know, living at the interface of science, right, in between biology and mass spectrometry is an area not a lot of people sort of work in. And so, you know, we had a conversation, you know, could we do this in the mass spec? Can we understand a particular question? And so we're we're really one of very few people that kind of look at protein DNA complexes in the mass spectrometer, trying to understand how they bind, what their affinities are, um, how they assemble on DNA. 
And, you know, just having Dr. Gallagher in our department is really um, important for, for us to sort of build new areas of science. How much better of a picture does uh, do mass spectrometry tools give you than what you would find without? Right. The, high res the resolution is great. Um, we're applying mass spectrometry in a slightly different way so, so, uh, than most people do. Um, but we're, So we're using it to look at a stability. You can just think about something interacting with something else. Uh, we're looking at the strength of that interaction, how strongly do the one things interact with something else, but in the mass, in the gas phase, in the mass spectrometer. And so that's the novel part of it. Um, these are also DNA replication proteins, and so it leads back to sort of our DNA replication work of sort of how strong a complex are we talking about, what's the assembly mechanism for these proteins, but can we look at it in a novel way? And that just provides another angle to kind of study this problem. As we talk about your work, as we shift to your work with graduate students, I'm curious, uh, could you just give us an insight into how big of a role students play in this research that we're talking about, graduate or undergraduate? Yeah, I mean, uh, all of it. I mean, they are so essential. And, you know, having great um, Ph.D. students and undergraduate students contribute to these projects are you know, essential to what we do. It's it's not often I get into the lab anymore. I definitely want to, and I definitely try to, but my students are doing 99% of the work in the lab. Um, and so, you know, having strong, uh, smart, um, engaging, dynamic students to help um, uh, tackle these problems from different directions is really very, very important. So they're rather important. You play a role in helping uh, bring graduate students here, whether it's to your own lab or, uh, or others within your, your division. You're, you're the director of graduate affairs. What all does that entail in chemistry and biochemistry? Yeah, so I've been the director of graduate affairs for six years now um, in our department. And really our goal or my goal at the time was to grow the graduate program. You know, we started with um, around 55 students or so, and we've just about doubled it in our That's department great. to over 110 over those six years. And, and a couple of the things I'm proud of in that in that sort of growth period is we sort of balanced out the male to female ratio. So we've increased the number of female graduate students in our program uh, to be pretty much 50-50 with the male students. And, and also bringing in international students and a, a different um, – uh, creating more diversity and interests and in, in, uh, from elsewhere across the globe um, and, and building our program at the same time. So super excited and, and happy about the growth of our program. You know, it comes with um, having strong faculty in our department as well. Well, you mentioned strong faculty of answers, at least in part what I was going to ask you. Uh, you know, what, 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 is, what are some of the factors that you've seen that have led to that growth, b besides your great recruiting skills, of course? <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. I mean, the commitment by the graduate school has been very uh, has been very important for the growth of our department um, and our students, you know, but um, providing support for for teaching assistance for our students. But but really, you know, the strength and hiring of faculty in our department has also, um, you know, led to the growth of our department because we have so many more faculty are doing great science and getting external funding. So we have you know, more than half of our students supported by external funds throughout the department. And so, you know, that's a really, so if we can grow externally and internally both, then we can really grow the total population. When you talk about faculty, we had Sarah Dolan from the graduate school on a, a few weeks ago. And it sounds like, you know, maybe for people who don't know, I think when you're thinking about undergraduate, in a lot of cases, students are like, well, I want to go to Baylor, or I want to go to mm. this school, or I want to go to a school that has this, but how important are the faculty when you think about graduate students, many of whom are like, well, I want to work with a faculty doing this, and this faculty at Baylor is doing that. Yeah, I work closely with Sarah Dolan. She's great in the in the graduate school, but I think that's happening more and more in our department. We're hiring really excellent faculty members, and so people, are, students are now coming to Baylor to work with certain faculty in all areas of, of chemistry in our department. 
And so, yeah, I mean, that's a big, uh, big attraction. You know, having a small, smaller um, research uh, group, and we advertise it as a way to get really good hands-on training with high-level instrumentation for for students. And so, you know, being able to work really closely with faculty is a is a big benefit for for those students that come here. You know, I, your, your division has done a lot of research over the years. That you know, you know, R one is a is a metric that the university reaches as a whole. So maybe saying that you've been doing R one level research research isn't quite the right way to put it, but I think that idea that chemistry and biochemistry have been doing great research for, for a long time. How much have you seen that uh, impact growth within the, uh, the, the school, and uh, what opportunities does that provide? Yeah, you know, I came to Baylor in 2014, and, and really I saw potential there for that growth, and I saw kind of the chemistry and biochemistry department leading the way for sort of the, the research output and research funding area, and I was really excited to be a part of that uh, direction and growth for the department and, and super excited to reach R1 just a year ago or so. Um, but yeah, I think we've been a leader in our department. We we have a lot of uh, a great external funding. We're developing collaborations across the university and across the world. And, and all of that goes into sort of being R1. And, and yeah, we do feel like we were there several years before, but now so pleased that the university is as a whole. Visiting with Dr. Michael Traxellis and Dr. Traxellis, as we head into the final moments here, I just want to ask you, what's on the horizon that you're really excited about? What what do you see that you're really anticipating in the months or years ahead? Yeah, well, you know, it changes all the time. I mean, today we're submitting a paper on, on some of this um, MCM 8 and 9 work, and I'm super excited about it, that at the moment. But tomorrow we turn the page and we're going to work on our next paper to submit it. So so it changes. But, but the coupling aspect of, of replication, sort of how we maintain an efficient cellular system to replicate the genome is still a fascination to me and and so many different directions we can take so it's really going to be a focus over the next year for us well we'll look forward to seeing that and uh, more good news from your uh, from uh, from your uh, research group in the years ahead dr track sales really appreciate you taking the time to join us today yeah thanks derek i really enjoyed Thank it you. i'm a big fan of baylor connections and well, happy to do it i appreciate that <laughs> glad we can have you to talk about uh, this topic that we haven't been able to share before so this will be this will be great as we, we share this. Dr. Michael Traxellis, Professor of Biochemistry and Director of Graduate Affairs at Baylor's Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry, our guest today on Baylor Connections. I'm Derek Smith. A reminder, you can hear this and other programs online at baylor.edu connections, and you can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for joining us here on Baylor Connections. Baylor Connections.